All right. Well, good uh, evening. Have a seat. Pastor Zeke is almost back into town. They had, um, I think it's their 39th anniversary. And so they went for a drive of all things to celebrate. So they drove, uh, they took 395 all the way up to Oregon, which is a pretty long way, I think. And then uh, and they hung out, uh, you know, they stopped on the way and they hung out with family for uh, a couple days. It was cool. My, my dad got to um, go out with my cousin as he was hunting geese. And so uh, I don't think he shot the gun, but, um, but he hunted a little bit. Uh, and then they made their way down back uh, along the coast on the way home. And so they stopped uh, a couple places. And uh, anyway, so, so we're here tonight. Continued in uh, 1 John. Tonight we'll be in 1 John 2.15. So feel free to, to turn there. It's the only thing about a metal pulpit, huh? When you put this down, you guys can hear that. That's why we always use the wireless, but the wireless broke. So maybe we can edit all this part out. All right, we'll pray soon. So yeah, whenever Pastor Zeke's gone on a, on a Thursday, we go through 1 John, and, and so we've had like three or four studies uh, to get to this point in 1 John, and, it, and the book really focuses, John does, on, on a real relationship with God, on fellowship with Him, on distancing ourselves from the ways of the world, and in, in chapter 1, John says that he writes to us so that our joy would be full. He talks about having fellowship with one another, but he says truly that fellowship comes from having fellowship with the Lord. Um, and then in chapter 2, he starts chapter 2, and he says he's writing to us so that we would not sin. He says that, uh, that, that about knowing God, we keep his commandments, uh, and how our walk should match our words and ultimately match the words of Jesus. So that kind of brings us a little bit to where we are tonight in verse uh, 15. My, my goal is to get through verse 23 tonight, and so we might get a little further than that. We might not make it quite that far, but the cool thing about Thursdays is we just pick up where we left off the, the last time. So, uh, so let's read this. Verse 15 it says, Do not love the world or the things uh, uh, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18, little children, it is the last hour, and you've heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that there is no lie in the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Uh, and, uh, and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Lord, uh, would you just make this book live to us? Lord, would you show us ourselves and show us our Savior? 
And Lord, we'd ask that you make the book live to us for your sake, we pray. Amen. Okay, so he starts out and he says, don't love the world. We used an illustration last Sunday that uh, when we talked about being in the world but not of the world, that, uh, that the ship or the boat is in the water, but the water shouldn't be in the boat. And it's kind of that same thing that if there's too much water in the boat, then the boat's going to sink and it's not going to do anybody any good. Uh, but if the boat is never in the water, then it's kind of no good either, is it? Right? So, so we need to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And so with that kind of as a, as a backdrop, John starts out by saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. So that's not to say that we can't love this world, right? So, so do we hate the planet and do we, you know, try to bring ruin? To, no, not, not, not that. That's not what he's saying. Um, do, do we not love the people in the world? Well, of course we love the people in the world. Jesus, right? First uh, John, or John 3.16, it's like the verse we all learn. For God so loved the world. So, so there's this love that happens, but what he's really talking about here is the system and the wisdom of this world. The, the, the system of this world is that, and it's, we're going to get into it in verse 18, but this anti-Christ mentality, this anti-Jesus mentality, this anti-what-God-would-want mentality. There's a thinking, there's a system. Now, we first kind of see this system in, in action in Genesis 11. Uh, if you remember, after the flood, there was a guy that kind of came on the scene named Nimrod. And he was a smart guy, and he was a bright guy, and he was a, a leader of sorts. And, and they all got together, and they go, let's do this. Let's build a tower up into the heavens. Let's build something. Now, God hadn't asked for them to do anything like this. And, and, and some would even say that this would be in direct defiance of God and not standing on the promises of God. That, that you realize if a flood had just happened, what's the best place to go when there's a lot of water? Up, right? And so this could have been something that they were building going, just in case this God tries to throw a bunch of rain down again, let's be able to get to the higher ground and, and, uh, and get away from it. And so some think that's why this started in, in, in the first place was because they, they didn't believe the promises of God. That, I mean, he had already given them a rainbow, and he said, through what through the rainbow? I'll never do this again. I'll never flood the whole earth again. But this system of the world was this guy led by Nimrod that he sets up a system anti-God. And, and the people had actually been told after the flood. So first, it was a lack of faith. Second, it was just direct disobedience that he had told everyone to go populate the world, go all over the place. But everyone stayed in one spot, didn't they? And they go, hey, together we can be better. Together we can get things taken care of. Together, if we just all stay together, this will work out. God didn't desire for them to stay together. But this guy, Nimrod, gets everyone, hey, if we pull our resources together, if we all stay right here, and it was in disobedience to God. And this system of the world says, we don't necessarily need God to be better. We, we can do a lot of things without God. And so there's this system that happens. Well, and then God has to show up on the scene and do what? One day, they finish work, they go home, get a good night's rest, they come back to work on the, on the tower, and hey, why don't you hand me that over there? And the guy goes, what? What are you talking about? And, well, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden, their language is confused, you remember? All of a sudden, they're all speaking different languages, they can't communicate with each other, and then they have to disperse, and God, God made that happen. 
That, but the system of the world is to say we can enjoy the things of the world. And, and in Romans, it talks about this, that they worshiped the creation and not what? The creator. And it's so easy to do that. And we'll even get into the next part of that. Um, because when he says not to love the things of the world, it's easy to enjoy the creation and not the creator sometimes. It's easy to enjoy the gifts and not the giver sometimes. Right? Has that ever happened we, with the young adults? We're um, studying through 1 Samuel right now, and we were talking about Hannah and this prayer that she prayed. If you remember, Hannah was barren. And she goes, God, if I could only have a child, and I'll give him to you. Right? And she prayed so fervently, so desperately for this thing. Well, then she gets that baby. Can you imagine the temptation she must have had to go back on her word and go, I really wanted this, though. And to actually go and give it to the Lord. Because you know, just like I know, and it's happened to me, that there's been things that I've said, Lord, if you would just give me this thing, Lord, I want it so bad, God, if you would just be so gracious. And then he gives it, and I, you take that thing, and that kind of becomes your new God. Has that ever happened with anybody in here? We don't need a raise of hands, but I see a few heads nodding. Because I know I've done it. That it's like, Lord, if I could just finally have you know, someone who likes me and I could, you know, possibly fall in love with somebody. And I found early on in our dating relationship that all of a sudden I was, I was treating that and treating Letty like she was my God. And God didn't build her to be God, you know. And so all of a sudden things are getting out of whack and out of sync and, and, and things not quite right. And it's like, why? Because I took the gift and I neglected the giver. And that happens with so many different things that we can love the world or the things in the world. I, I've noticed, and, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I remember when I was growing up in the church, I used to hear a lot of, a lot of uh, talk, a lot of preaching against materialism. I felt like I used to hear it a lot. It's going to burn, you know. I feel like in the last 10 or 15 years, I haven't heard that as much. Just, just throughout Christianity as a whole. I'm not saying here or there or anywhere specific. I'm just saying as a whole. Because I think to our, to our shame, as the American church, I would say, but maybe the whole Western church, that there has been this um, subtle gravitation towards the things of this world. That it's the world system, and even, and when we get into uh, the next verse, I think even that, I think the church is guilty in some ways. But personally, I think we could do that. It's like, Lord, if you'll just give me that career, and, and, and I, I, Lord, I want that. And then all of a sudden, you get that career, and all of a sudden, that's become your new Lord. That's the kingdom we live for. Or, or maybe it's, again, it could be a relationship, it could be a, a home, it could be a hobby, it could be all these things. And, and again, these things kept in their proper place are wonderful, right? You know, my uncle, he pastors up in, in Central Oregon, and he goes, man, one of the hardest things is this place is like an outdoorsman's heaven. It's so hard to get people to come to church because it's either hunting season or fishing season or camping time and, and, and people live their lives to be outdoors and enjoy the world. And there's nothing wrong with camping. There's nothing wrong with hunting or fishing, although I think fishing could be a little boring. But, uh, but if you like that, that's okay as long as it's in its right place. But, and I find that we can, um, 
We can judge our own lives and our own things of how much we're really loving those things or not loving them based on the time and the energy and the finances that we'll give to that thing. The things we'll sacrifice in order to do them. Right? Because there's times, and uh, again, I'll tell you that I'm guilty first. Uh, I remember my brother-in-law. I love hanging out with my brother-in-law. He likes golfing. Uh, you know, I, I blame Albie. He got me back into golf. And, uh, and so, all, so I remember there being one morning that we found a tea time in, uh, in Palm Springs at, six in the, at 5.57 in the morning, right? So do you know what time you have to leave Phelan to be ready to golf at 5.57 in Palm Springs? And I didn't care, though. Why? Because I'll do what I want to do, right? And there, becomes, there comes this thing that's like, I'll sacrifice anything to go do this thing. Now, I, I don't do that every day, but, but, then, but I was a little convicted later that I'm like, man, um, sometimes when I, when I sense that the Lord would say, hey, why don't you get up and be with me? You know, why don't you, why don't you come away? You know, like Jesus, there was times it says he was, he was up praying long before the sun. And there's times that I'm like, man. Lord, you know I love you. You know, you know I love you. But it's warm right here. You know, and I just kind of just turn over. You know, and so I'm not. And again, I'm not trying to trip everyone out. But I'm saying that. And again, if I was doing this every day in golf, then maybe that would be an issue. So I'm not saying it's it's bad to enjoy a vacation, to enjoy the things God gives us. He gives us richly all things to enjoy, right? So it's okay to enjoy what God gives. But He says that that our love, our true affection shouldn't be for this world or the things of this world. I think also of the wisdom of this world is one of the things that he talks about. Because even with that, it's conflicting at times. Uh, If you turn real quick to James, James chapter 3. James chapter 3 verse 14, it's just a few pages back. But he talks about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And I think sometimes when he says don't love the world, that we shouldn't desire the way the world lines things up and the wisdom that it comes from. We'll start in verse 13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But, verse 17, the wisdom that's from above is pure and peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So even the wisdom that comes from this world, if, if ever you spend enough time with, with listening to people from this world or the wisdom that comes from this world, and I think this is why it's important in Psalm chapter 1 that he says that the man who's blessed of God doesn't spend his time uh, walking with the sinners or sitting uh, with the ungodly or standing in the path with them, right? You, you know that Psalm uh, 1 verse 1. 
But here the wisdom that comes from this world, he says that there's envy, there's self-seeking. That, that it wants stuff for itself. It's selfish in the way that it does it. It wants what other people have. It's earthly. It, the, 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 the things about it, they're not eternal. They don't go beyond the things of this earth. They're sensual, so they're, they're good to the feel. And it says that they're demonic. They come ultimately from the evil one. We see that the, the thing, you, you see right there, the world, the flesh, and the devil, don't you? It, it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Our three main enemies, aren't they? The, the system of the world, you know, where he says it's earthly, uh, our, own, our own senses, our own flesh, it's sensual, and then it comes from the evil one, it's demonic. Well, what's the result of that wisdom is that confusion and every evil thing will be there. And I want to say this real quick as it comes to not loving the world or the things of the world. And he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. That God doesn't, our sin's not just bad because God forbids it. God forbids sin because it's bad for us. And, and it really is that way, that there's a lot of things that, again, if we continue to live for the things of this world, if we continue to live for the, the material things of this world, right, the things of the world or the world itself or the worldly wisdom, that in the end, those are bad for us. And I think all of us have seen that at different points in our lives. That when we sow, and it says this in Galatians 6, that when we sow to the things of the flesh, God's not mocked. He's not tricked. That when we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. That's what comes back out of the ground. But when we sow to the Spirit, what does it say? We reap everlasting life. And so, so again, looking back at this wisdom from the world, he says the result of that will be confusion and every evil thing are there. And it's funny, when you just ask two or three follow-up questions to the wisdom of the world, I used to work with, um, and they were wonderful guys, according to the standard of this world, but, but there would be times that you, they would give you their own wisdom and how things should be done, and, and you just ask a couple probing questions, well, what about after that, and what about after that, and then what about over here? Oh, yeah, I guess maybe that doesn't, ah, yeah, you know, don't worry about that part, you know, and, uh, and there's confusion. And I see it all the time, you know, spending time on campus, just the confusion that's there with, with some young people just trying to follow the wisdom of this world. Why is it okay for my mom and dad to do this, but it's not okay for me to do this, and what if I do that? And, and, and there's just so much confusion. Isn't there confusion in this world? That this world hardly knows anymore which way is up and which way is down, which way is right and which way is left, what's right, what's wrong? That there's so much confusion here. Why? Because, we, because there's envy and there's self-seeking. Because the wisdom is it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. And, it's, and, and, if, and, and if the Bible's true, which it is, Satan's the father of lies. He, he, would just, he would love us to be all tangled up in this stuff. But then you contrast that with what the wisdom of God is. He says that it's pure. There, there's no uh, evil motive in it. Right? It's peaceable. It, it, it doesn't desire to, to dominate another, but it makes peace. It says that it's gentle. Right? There's that softness, not a harshness to it. It's willing to yield, and it's full of mercy, and it's, it's full of good fruits, and it's without partiality. It doesn't favor one or the other. It's just like, hey, obedience. You know what that old, uh, that old hymn, Trust and Obey? That's, what is it? That, I, I don't know how the words go, but I remember that part of it. Right? But to trust and obey is the main thing. 
So it's without partiality, it's without hypocrisy. It doesn't say one thing and do another. It doesn't work sometimes and not other times. What's that? Uh, the promises of God in him are yes, and in him they're amen. They're not yes and no, sort of, maybe, you know, once in a while, every, every full moon it'll work with the Lord. No way. That the wisdom that comes from above, it's just that way. And it says that it's sown in peace by those who make peace. There's peace. And so that's why towards the end, uh, back here in 1 John 15, uh, 2.15, that he says not to love the world or things of this world. He says if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. One of the uh, really strong, I think, words on that comes in James. And we'll turn back there. I didn't mean to turn you back all the way. But, but in James chapter 4, um, he starts out by talking about how uh, you don't have because you don't ask. And he says, but then you do ask sometimes, but you don't receive because you've asked amiss that you would spend it on your pleasures. And then he uses this word that is so strong. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world, it's enmity with God. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so, so, when, so when John writes, and, and, I, and I find this interesting, that James is one of the earlier books that's written in the New Testament. It's very much a commentary on the Beatitudes. John now, as an older guy writing, that not much has changed from, you know, early books and later books, that these are the same. And, and who knows, John might even be thinking back on what James had said about this making ourselves an enemy of the God. But he says, he says, if you love this world, the love of the Father is not in that guy. In, in James chapter 4, verse 4, that's a strong word, huh, isn't it? Adulterer and adulteress. God, so often, all through the Old Testament at least, he compares um, idolatry with adultery. Doesn't he say, I betrothed you to myself. You were supposed to be mine. Well, you're supposed to be faithful to me. I was just, uh, was it Ezekiel? Was I in Ezekiel recently? In my morning time, you know, maybe it's like somewhere around chapter 10-ish, anywhere between 10 and 16, somewhere in there. You could look it up, read Ezekiel tonight. Um, but it's there somewhere, where he, he talks about how, you know, I found you, you were a baby, you were just like squirming around, and you were all bloody, and I, and I came and I helped you, and then as you grew, you know, I took care of you, and I betrothed you to myself, and I, and, I, and I called you to be mine, and then you turned your back on me. You know, you worshiped other gods, you went to Egypt, and it's so crazy what, what, what God says to his people. He says, you behaved like a harlot, that you went after other lovers, that you went to the world and to other gods and you, and you played the harlot with them. And he says, but you're not even as good of a, as a harlot because at least a harlot gets payment for what she does. You paid them to take you. You paid Egypt. You went to the world and you went to the world for help. So many times in the Old Testament, God told his people, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go get help from Egypt. Egypt always in the Old Testament, a picture of this world. And God did what in Exodus? He brought his people out of the world, right? The book of Exodus is a picture of God's people being born again and being delivered from bondage, from the bondage of this world. And so he tells his people time and again, don't go back to it. Don't run back to Egypt. Don't go back to the world. And what do we find? That as, as the kingdom of Israel 
started going whenever they got into trouble. So, well, not every time, but a lot of times. What would they do? They'd run back to Egypt. Hey, let's go make a treaty with Egypt. Let's see if they'll help us against the Babylonians, against the Assyrians. Let's see if those guys will help us out. Or you see that they set up high places, didn't they? They would set up places that they could worship other gods, gods that couldn't see, gods that couldn't hear, gods that couldn't talk, and gods that certainly couldn't do anything. And God says to them, you've behaved like a harlot. You've been unfaithful to me. Now, for us, we would go, well, obviously, we don't do that. We don't go worship other gods. You know, we don't, we don't have these little statues up in our house. And, but again, there's times that I think we, we love the world a little too much, don't we? There's times that, 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 that we're so protective of the thing. And I'm not saying not to be wise. The Bible tells us to be wise. So I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, it's been said a million times, so I don't know where it originally came from. Like, it's not bad to have possessions, but it's bad when our possessions possess us, right? And, and those kind of become our masters. And we've got to be very careful to, to, to guard our hearts and to guard our minds from loving the world, from loving the things of the world. Because if that's happening, he says that the love of the Father is not in us. Verse 16, he says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's not of the Father. That's from the world. These three things that we see, we see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It says these are not from the Father. They're from the world. You can turn real quick back to Genesis chapter 3. I think this is one of the first places we see it. That, that if it has to do with the lust of the flesh, if it has to do with the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, then it's coming from the enemy. says in Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the, of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, he said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, will you surely die? God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open, that you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of it and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. You see, what happens here is the enemy comes in, and he uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, to get Eve to disobey God. Well, what do we mean by that? He starts out that he, he has her notice that the tree is good for food. Well, it's good food. It's good. It'll fill my flesh. I'll, I'll feel good about what I eat. That's the lust of the flesh. She saw, and it says it all there in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it would satisfy her flesh, she thought. 
Then it says this, the second part, she says, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Uh, Another word is a desirable thing. It looked good. People argue, you know, sometimes, well, what kind of fruit was it, you know? And everyone always says an apple. I don't know why everyone says an apple. I don't think that's at all a desirable looking fruit to eat. I've never in my life gone, man, you see that apple? Man, does that look good? I think it was some kind of fruit that we don't have um, because it was coming from a tree that we don't have on this earth right now, right? Um, Anyways, I just thought that was... Anyway, maybe you say apple, fine. Go ahead, say apple. That's cool. Um, But she sees that it was pleasant to the eye. So first she goes, man, I could be filled with that, the lust of the flesh. But then the lust of the eyes that she goes, look at that. It looks amazing. And she's distracted by these things. And then there's the pride of life that that it says um, there in verse 6, and that the tree um, was desirable to make one wise. The pride of life to have more than I had yesterday, to, to, to grow in this way. And so she looks and she goes, it's good for food, it's pleasant to my eyes, and it'll make me wise. And some commentators say about this that maybe she thought, um, maybe this will help me to know more than maybe my husband knows. Maybe he'll follow me. Maybe this will work a different way. And so there's... there's There's these three things, and I find that the enemy does the same thing still today. I mean, think of most commercials that are on TV. Think of most ads that are all over the place, right? That it'll it'll make you whole. (laughs) It'll make you happy. It'll make you better than you were before. And, and it, it blows my mind. And I know I use an iPhone, so I apologize already. But, but it's like a cult, man. You know, I remember I used to have these youth kids They'd run into my office. Did you see the developers conference today? And I'm like, what is that? Well, they have the new thing. You know, Steve Jobs, is, he, he did the like, PowerPoint thing, and he talks. And, they, and it's so good. And I'm like, man. I wish you guys cared to hear from Jesus that way. <laughs> I wish you guys ran into the classroom like that, wanting to learn about the Bible. But you watch these uh, marketing things, and what do they, they start with? Just this lust of the flesh. Man, it'll be good for you. It'll help you. It'll make you better. And look at it. Oh, my gosh, doesn't it look good to the eyes? You know? And, and even, man, you, you, I always thought it was so interesting, man, on some of these commercials for the new iPhone when it would come out. You know, they're like showing it from all these different angles, and it's all slow-mo, and it's coming around, and, and it's like, look at these smooth edges, and look at how cool this, and then they have this guy, Johnny Ives, that would do the talking on it, and it's like, he's got this accent from God knows where, and, and it's just like, oh my gosh, it sounds like I'll be smarter if I use that thing, and look at what this will do for your life, it'll make you better, and you won't be like those idiots using last year's model, you know? The one we just told you you couldn't live without last year. That's obsolete. Now you don't need that stuff. Um, I think of different types, especially if you, if you watch like sports and, and you see, um, and I'm sure I sound like I'm like 60 years old now, but 
But you know, you, you see like, like, uh, like beer commercials and stuff. And, and, and what is it? It's like, it's all these people. Like, look how good life is, right? And they get like the most attractive people you can find. That it's like, there's no way they're drinking that much beer and still looking like that. I don't know of many guys that have, you know, chiseled abs that drink a lot of beer. But it's aesthetically pleasing on TV, isn't it? And so they know what's going to make it sell. They're like, if we can appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that you'll have life together and you'll enjoy this. Gary, you've done, you've done drug and alcohol ministry. It's not exactly like those commercials, is it? And he, and he says, this stuff's not from the Father. He says, it's from the world. Although God's given us all things to enjoy, he doesn't lead us into godliness by appealing to these things. And I think, and this is what I was saying earlier, that I think the church has done a disservice to God's people by trying to appeal to these things at times. I'm not saying we always done it, but I think a lot of us uh, have at times been guilty of it. I know certainly there were times in youth ministry when, when we would sit and have these meetings. And how do we get more kids to really, you know, buy in and jump in and do the thing? And I, and I, and I remember there, I mean, we'd be sitting around having these conversations and it was like the Lord would kind of come and stop us and go, what are you doing? You think that marketing is what's going to help my church? You, you think that better food is what's going to get the kids to come? And, and didn't Pastor Chuck used to always say, whatever you catch them with, that's what you've got to keep them with. We, we don't have a song and dance here. There, there's no dog or pony show. And, and we don't have, certainly don't have, like, good food here. <laughs> that's not what we're trying to win you with, you know? I know people, I, you know, again, after a while, my youth kids are like, hot dogs again? I'm like, sorry, that's all you guys are getting from me. Maybe nachos on a special night. But, but that's not what I'm trying to catch you with. And I think Damien Kyle had said it. He said it's subtle. But what's happened over the last 20 years in the church is, is in small ways, not big ways, not raising our fists to God. But we, we follow these three things sometimes. And he goes, and we've become in small ways man-centered. And to the degree that we become man-centered, it's to that same degree we stop being God-centered. And I think it's dangerous when we use the lust of the flesh, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to win people to godliness. Because God doesn't win people to, you know, if anything, Jesus kind of preached the other way, didn't he? That he goes, you know, people go, hey, I want to follow you. He goes, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man's got nowhere to lie his head. You want to follow that? Come on. People saying, I want to follow you, Lord. And, and, he, and he says, you know, if you, don't, if you don't deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Right? He talks about not turning our, our head back when, when we've put our hands to the plow. Jesus, I don't see many places, if any, in Scripture that he says, hey, hey, come with me and I'll give you the hookup. Right? In fact, there were some people that followed. He goes, you're not here for what I'm saying. You're here because I fed you twice. 
right? And then he tells them some really hard things. And it says that a lot of people left and they didn't come back. In John chapter 6, you remember that? And then he even looks at his disciples and what does he offer them? No, no, guys, please don't go. That's not what Jesus says at all, is it? He goes, do you guys want to leave too? And it was so great because what does Peter say? And we need that because it ties in with this. He says, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That has nothing to do with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Why? Because that's eternal stuff. Paul writes in Philippians, our citizenship is where? In heaven, not here. So if anything, God is reminding us to distance ourselves from the things of this world and the things of this world. And, and so I know it's something for us as a church, but I think it should be us individually that in the way we evangelize, in the way we invite people to, to, to come know the Lord and to come to church and that kind of stuff, that we have to be very careful. And it's hard, I'll tell you, because I, 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 you know, there was a time I learned how to do graphics and I, and I was really particular about, you know, well, the artwork we send out and that things look nice. And, and, I, and so, again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do a good job and things look okay, but when that becomes the thing, then, then we're getting close to a bad place. Does that make sense a little bit? So we got to be very careful that it's not just, just given to those things. He says those things are not from the Father. They're from the world. He says the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This world is passing away. It is, you know, the second law of thermodynamics, right? That all things are going back to disorder and nothing. They're falling apart regularly. The older you get, you realize that, don't you? In multiple ways. That it's hard to keep things together. They naturally fall apart. You know? And he says, this world is passing away, but, in a lesson, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so, um, just for time, I don't think we're even going to be able to get to verse 18, really. Um, but I want it, because I want to go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good place to, to kind of um, to stop. And it's a familiar verse to everyone, I'm sure. But he says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you'd present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that's your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul says he, he begs the believers here. That word beseech can be translated, I beg you, please. He says, I beg you, brothers, by God's mercy that you'd give your body as a living sacrifice to God. You know, to be a living a sacrifice is something that dies. That, that, that the Bible's asking us to actively die to ourselves regularly. To, to actively uh, put ourselves before the Lord. And, uh, and like Paul would say later in Galatians, you know, I've, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. But he says, I beg you, please, that you'd give your bodies a living sacrifice to God and, and ho be holy, you know, acceptable. He says, that's our reasonable service. All this, all this is, is just a response to the love of God. 
it, all that we do, it's a, it's a response to what God's already done for us. So he says that would be our reasonable service, and as he explains that reasonable service, he talks about kind of what we've been talking about already. He says, so don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed. Um, to be conformed means that something uh, takes the form that it has and it's, and it's you know, pushed or moved or manipulated into a way that it looks like, like something else. I, I think of um, like, a, like a piece of paper um, and like, like origami stuff, you know. You guys know that stuff? It's popular a long time ago. But, but you fold the paper and it looks like a little crane, you know. But it's not really a crane. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything like a crane would do. It just looks like it. It's just a piece of paper. But we can make it look a certain way. And, and it can serve a different purpose. And, but nothing's changed. It's just been conformed. And, and in the same way, he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't let the system of this world fold you or, or mold you or shape you into being more like it or what it would like you to be. And again, we see it, and I, I, get, I get so uh, um, like frustrated as, as I'm around school. Okay, I'll be last. I'm frustrated about a lot of things, actually. But um, maybe I am like a 60-year-old man. I'll get, you know, get frustrated about a lot of things. Um, when I see the way the world does things, that starting with, with students, you know, and this isn't an anti-school rant or anything like that, but if anything, it's like, as parents, we got to really engage here. But, but this world knows how to make kids into what it wants them to be. The way they start, you know, especially in these middle school years of, of trying to show kids that they don't need the old influences of their parents and their, that way of thinking. Let's teach you a new way of thinking. And then you get into high school and you have these counselors. And, and I don't think they're malicious per se. But, but there's this, you know, let's move you. Where, where do you want to go to school? How far do you want to go from mom and dad? How far can we get you away? Where can you, you know, go? And, and I think of, um, of Daniel chapter one, right, with those exiles. That was, what do they do? They, they, they take them uh, from home and they go and they teach them a new language and a new literature and they teach them in all their customs and they go, here, have everything that we can give you. And, uh, and I, I've heard, I've heard uh, somebody say, um, you know, Babylon still knows how to make Babylonians because that was their goal, wasn't it? We can take these guys, and in this story from Daniel, we take these Jewish boys, we bring them over, we, we, we teach them what we teach them, we change their names, their, their identities can be changed, you know, we change their name uh, so that they'll worship our gods, you know, these God-glorifying names, they've made them into, into pagan-glorifying names, and, and we'll, we'll teach them their langu our language and the literature of the Chaldeans, and then we'll, we'll take them and we'll give them a portion of the king's delicacies, and we'll, we'll make them really enjoy Babylon, and they'll become little Babylonians and then we can send them back and they'll just run that place as if it's like, you know, Babylon West. And, the, and, and again, the world still wants to do that. That, that it takes a person and says, these are the things, and, 
and I'm not opposed to the American dream or anything like that, but there's these things that we can live for. Not everything that's within the American dream is, is in line with Scripture. I think, you know, this, this world is so happy to, to make us... <laughs> there, there's an old song. It's probably not the best one to quote, but it fits, right? I'm a material girl in a material world, Right? <laughs> a lot of odd quotes tonight. We're going to have to really do some editing before this gets uh, put online. But that's the desire of the world to conform us into itself. But that's not what God wants. He says we'd be enemies of his, that the love of the Father is not in us when we're doing these things, that that way is passing away. But he who does the will of God, it finishes off in 1 John, says he who does the will of God will abide forever. And, and he, again, in Romans 12, 2, where we're finishing, he says, I don't want you to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. What is, that word transformed is where we would get our word metamorphosis. That's what happens when a little caterpillar goes and takes a long nap and wakes up with wings. It's not the same thing it was. It's not the same as just a piece of paper that you can make look like a butterfly. It's a real butterfly that it changes what it is. And we're supposed to, in that same way, be transformed. By what? The renew not by getting a new body or, or 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 just becoming a better version of ourselves. Gosh, nobody needs that. We don't want to be our best self or a better version of ourselves. We want to be what God has called us to be. And so he says that 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 he's like, you know, I beg you, please, by the mercies of God, you know, that you would that you would give yourself as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be changed into what the world wants you to be, but be transformed. Be different. Allow God to change you. The Bible tells us we're being transformed from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, that He's changing us. He says, as we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, it says that we would prove what is that good, what is that acceptable, what's that perfect will of God that we would live for him. And so 1 John 2, as he's talking about, again, being in a real relationship with God, a lot of that has to do with our fellowship with him and our distancing ourselves from the world. Both. And again, I've, I've heard... And it is, I think, to try to um, maybe reach the world better. But there was this thing, and it was a few years ago. I haven't heard it as much in the last year or so. But it's like, let's not tell the world what we're against as Christians. Let's just show them what we're for. And I get a little bit of what I think they're trying to say. But so often, God does both. He doesn't ch just tell us what not to be, but he's pretty clear about what we're not to be. And so it's okay as Christians to say, no, we're not about the wisdom of this world. We're not about the way of this world because that's dying. And I think it, it's a disservice to not tell people that that is dying. And, and again, I'm all for, yes, we need to be transformed. And so uh, just a a few uh, questions. I want to quote from uh, Dave Guzik something as we finish. 
about not being of the Father and of the world. He says we often rarely appreciate how much of the world dominates uh, our thinking, how often our thoughts are more of the world than they are of the Father. We usually believe that we think a lot more biblically than we really do. So we really ought to rigorously measure our habits of thinking and see if they follow more of the world or if they follow more of the Father. He talks about our standard for success, our standard for uh, of what makes a person appealing and what our standard is for spirituality. Are they worldly things or are they godly things? And so to measure our success, to measure people, you know, by the things that God says are important, not just the things that we think are important. And so we have a great need, right, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. So it's a little early, but we'll stop here. Lord, thank you so much for who you are, for, Lord, what you've spoken to us tonight. We, we pray, God, that our thinking and our being would be in line with what you say. Lord, when we, when we think about the not, not loving the world, God, forgive us, because there are some places in our lives that we really love this world. And we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, the things that, that stumble us, that trip us up, Lord, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, Lord, they're not from you. And so we pray, God, that we would desire to be well-pleasing to you, desire to be closer to you, desire to honor you in all things. And Lord, it's impossible on our own. And so we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us the power to run to you, give us the power to draw near to you, give us the power to live for you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.